Welcome to the SSV. As Mandy said, my name is Shannon, and I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. I have noticed uh, that over the past few months, we've had some newer folks who have come and been hanging out with us at the SSV. Uh, so I thought it might be like worthwhile to do a little bit of an introduction about who I am. Um, and so, as Mandy said, my name is Shannon, and I co-lead this church with Gino. And um, I grew up in the church. I don't remember a time when I wasn't part of a church community. I was um, baptized at 10 days old in the Lutheran church. Uh, I come from a long line of strong Lutheran believers. Uh, and then I went to kindergarten through eighth grade at the Lutheran school. And then in high school, I continued to participate in church community. Uh, I participated in Fellowship of Christian Athletes, took the one way to play pledge, you know, did all of that. Uh, good stuff. And so I've always been a part of church. Now, in college, um, I had a little bit more of a winding road. Uh, and I remember about my junior year in college, I thought, I probably need to find a church community. And I was on the campus of Illinois State University, uh, and I had some friends who were at the University of Illinois, and they said I should look for an intervarsity chapter. Uh, and that's a, you know, a parachurch organization on college campuses. Uh, there was no InterVarsity chapter at Illinois State University, but through a friend of a friend of a friend type of thing, they suggested Illini Life. And so I emailed the leader of Illini Life, and they said, come join us for a Bible study that we're having on Sunday evening. I said, okay. And so I drove by myself uh, to this couple's home, and they were exactly what you might expect for a campus ministry folks. They were like a young couple. I think they maybe had like one or two like really small children. Uh, they invited us into their basement where there was a small group Bible study. I think they served like spaghetti or something. You know, that's kind of like the college thing to do. Uh, and so uh, there was a, there was like dinner and Bible study and kind of like hanging out. And I must admit uh, that it was very awkward. Now, I also want to admit that 90% of the awkwardness was probably me, right? Um, but it felt weird. It felt weird to be in this basement. It felt weird for me to show up by myself. But over the course of the evening, one of the student leaders invited me to go to coffee later that week, to which I agreed. Uh, and so then I meet this girl for coffee on the campus of Illinois State University. We do this small chit-chat sort of thing. Uh, and then she starts talking to me about Jesus. Uh, and she starts describing, again, the details are a little bit fuzzy. It's been a little while since I've been in college. Uh, but I remember very clearly that she starts talking about Jesus, and she starts to draw this diagram. Uh, and so for those of you who have been in this situation, you kind of know what I'm, where I'm going with this, right? So she starts to draw this hand version diagram uh, and on the back of a napkin. And she's describing to me what is known as the Roman's road to salvation. I think we might even have a slide of that if you know uh, did that. Yes. Okay, so if you are familiar with this, you might have seen this, and if not, that's okay. Um, she starts describing to me, like, my sin. She says, like, her sin, and how this creates, like, a divide between mankind and God. And then in the, this, like, big revelation moment, she draws the cross that connects the two, describing how Jesus' death on the cross bridges the divide between humankind and God. And then she turns to me, and she asks me if I want to follow Jesus. Now, keep in mind what I shared just a few moments ago. I was born into the church. 
baptized at 10 days old. I knew this story. I'd been going to Lutheran school. I had the full thing. I knew all of this. And here's this girl sharing this story with me about sin and death on the cross and a relationship with God with pictures and diagrams. And she's asking me if I want to give my life to Jesus. And so a few things start going through my mind. I think, what is going on here? And what sort of vibe am I giving off that indicates that I don't know this story? Like, I feel like I'm a church girl. I know this stuff. And I also think at the same time, well, I do want to follow Jesus, so I better just, like, say yes, right? Um, And so I say, yes, I'd like to follow Jesus. And she says, okay, let's do this repeat-after-me prayer. And I think, okay, like, we're already in this deep. I better just kind of keep going with this. And so she does, like, a repeat-after-me prayer, which I do. And then at the end, she says, amen. And I think she even mentioned, like, rejoicing in heaven on that particular day. And I'm pretty sure if you were to count the stats for Illini Life in that particular year, I'm probably counted in the stats of salvation on that particular day in that year. Now, I don't think I attended any other Illini Life events. Not because of this moment. In fact, I don't even know why I didn't go back. Uh, maybe just because I was too awkward but, or this wasn't my crowd type of thing. But as I reflected on this story over the years, it makes me laugh because I consider what stories and meetings I might have been discussed in in that particular year. Like they got one for the kingdom, and here I was thinking I knew all of this. But this week I've been reflecting on that story for a different reason. In fact, I have a new appreciation for this girl from Illini Life who so courageously shared the gospel with me on that day. It reminds me that understanding our salvation is foundational to our walk with Jesus. It's the process of allowing the good news of Jesus, what we call the gospel of Jesus, to capture our hearts, not just once, but to continually capture our hearts. And over the next few weeks, we're going to use the book of Romans to look at the gospel. It's this book where it examines our sin and our need for salvation, and that the price of sin is death, but that Jesus paid the price for the sin. And that salvation is offered from Jesus Christ and that we get to have life in heaven because of it and peace with God. And over the next few weeks, we're going to jog through the book of Romans, slowing down so that our hearts and our heads can start to understand and continue to understand what God has for us. And so we're using the book of Romans because what better book of the Bible to use to talk about the gospel? In fact, James Montgomery Boyce writes in his commentary on the book of Romans, he says, Christianity has been the most powerful transforming force in human history. And the book of Romans is the most basic, most comprehensive statement of true Christianity. It's a book that's written by the Apostle Paul. And if you remember a few weeks ago, Gino talked about the story of Paul who started off as Saul, who met Jesus on the road, who turned into Paul, who then, you know, used his life to tell people about Jesus. It's a roadmap. Romans is a roadmap to understand the good news. And we're going to do our very best with the power of the Holy Spirit to explain and examine the gospel. Which brings me to my point about the Illini Life Girl and the Romans Road diagram on the back of a napkin that day. This series and this gospel message is for everyone. 
And as I prepared for the message this week, the book of Romans and the Holy Spirit began reminding me that my salvation is secure. I am counted in the family of Jesus Christ. But there is more to my story than my I've been a Christian my whole life line. That I could have stopped the Illini life girl when she started drawing the diagram. I could have said, whoa, 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 I know this. And I could have given her my story. I could have told her my whole line. But the book of Romans reminds me that God is calling us to a continually transformed gospel-following life. And for some of us, this is a reminder. And for others of you who are here today or watching online, this is a new reality. So no matter where you are, new believer, long-time believer, not a believer, I want to invite you to give the Holy Spirit a chance to open up your heart to hear what God has. And as we go through this series and through the book of Romans, I want you to examine how the gospel of Jesus Christ has transformed you, how it is transforming you, or how it potentially could transform you. Because I am convinced that the Holy Spirit has something for each of us. So today, as we start this series through Romans, I'd like to look at Romans 1, looking at verses 8 through 17. Now, before I start this passage, I want to set the stage. So Paul is writing this letter to the church in Rome. And unlike some of the other letters that we've read from Paul, Paul has never been to the church, this particular church at Rome at this point in his life. Uh, and he did not plant this church. He does not know these people. Uh, Nero is in charge in Rome at this time. But this is before like Nero goes super crazy, right? Like I would say he's probably never really in like the sane crowd, but like this is before he goes really wild, right? And Rome is a significant city at this time. Like it's kind of this hub of action. And it's, it's an overcrowded city. It's got the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich all in this one city. And in the first seven verses of the book of Romans 1, Paul establishes who he is, and he describes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and also an apostle. And so think of this as like a a willing servant, a bond servant to Jesus Christ. But also, he's a big deal. He's an apostle. He knows his stuff. And as he greets this church in Rome in these first few verses, he's also, uh, it's clear to recognize that he is talking to church people, right? He establishes the fact that they are people who are called to faith, that they belong to this faith, and that they are loved by God. Verse 7 says, I'm writing to all of you in Rome who are loved by God, and are called to be his own holy people. So that sets the stage for who is writing and to whom Paul is writing. But having established all that, Paul then continues, and I want to pick up at verse 8. He says, Let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. One of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow in the Lord. When we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit, just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome, too, to preach the good news. 
verse 16, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. So foundationally, these verses in Romans 1 set the stage for some big ideas. And we could go line by line through the entire book of Romans, and each line contains some really substantial nuggets that describe the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Christian faith. But this morning, I want to take a look at how these verses describe a life of genuine faith. Genuine faith that is transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A life that is transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's clear that we need to understand that this is built on a genuine faith. We see Paul highlighting the faith of these people in this church at Rome by thanking God for their faith in verse 8. He says, let me say first that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith in him is being talked about all over the world. Paul's expressing that the people connected to this church have a real and authentic faith. It's worthy to be highlighted. It's worthy to be pulled out and examined. And as we begin this sermon series, I think we have to be willing to call out inauthentic and counterfeit versions of faith and exchange those versions of faith for a true and genuine faith. And if you are here today or you are watching online and you are not a follower of Jesus, it may be the case that you've decided not to follow Jesus because you've seen inauthentic and counterfeit versions of faith. And I'm here to tell you through the words of Paul that that is not a genuine faith. Genuine faith is a gift from God, centered on Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and resurrection. Without God's faith, we are unable, without God's grace, we are unable to have faith. And faith is not a singular experience or a moment of tears and sweaty palms. Faith is not an altar call or signing a commitment card. It's not even the moment of your baptism. Christian faith is not wishful thinking. It's not optimistic thinking. Christian faith is not based on doing enough so that you can tip the scales in favor of a better, more productive, smooth sailing, satisfying life. It's not something that we can bubble up on our own merit or work hard enough to achieve. And this can be hard for those of us who want to like work hard and we want to live a good life. We want a faith that is easily contained and plated. We want a faith based on wishful thinking, for example. And this can be revealed as we pray sometimes, as our prayers are things that we really want to happen, what we wish to be true, masquerading as faith. And when the person doesn't get healed, or we don't get the job, or the prayer seems unanswered, we're left with pain and sorrow, disappointment, hopelessness, crushed wishes. Or sometimes we have an inauthentic faith that's masquerading as optimistic thinking, prosperity gospels, solidifying life principles built on and around certain verses that we cherry pick out of the gospel, like Mark 9, 23 that says, everything is possible for him who believes. It becomes a mantra for asking for and expecting to receive the next Bentley or the corner office. But how does that faith explain the closed doors and the demotions and the job loss? How does that faith explain a 1999 Chevy truck or a Mercury Sable? Or the systematic injustice and generational poverty that we see in this world? 
Counterfeit versions of faith are too small and too narrow to contain the full weight of what Jesus offers. Instead, it is through the grace of God that we are even able to believe it. God's grace allows us to have a genuine faith. Without this gift from God, we're not able to believe. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. And when we build our lives on genuine faith in Jesus Christ, we begin to recognize the many and potential ways that we are distracted by lesser versions of faith. The ways that that leaves us lacking peace and contentment. And I was struck by that this week as I was reading through Romans because I became aware that while I believe and I know faith is a gift from God, I was confronted by my own awareness of how my own struggles with sin, my own struggles with anxiety and fear are an outworking of areas of my life where I'm placing my faith in a counterfeit version. A faith of my own work ethic. If I could just work hard enough, then this situation will work out and God will be so pleased because he didn't have to do any of the work. A faith of my own control. If I can just organize my life this way, if I can just eliminate some of the risks, then things will be smooth. A faith of my own design. If I do the right things, if I get up early and do my devotional, if I preach really well, if I lead a small group, I'll check off enough boxes where God will be pleased with me. But God confronted me this week and he said, that's a faith based on Shannon's abilities. That's a faith based on Shannon's timetables and Shannon's convenience. But genuine faith rests on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And once we understand that foundational truth, we begin to understand that the rest of the Bible is also true. That God's promises in this area mean that his promises are true in the rest of the Bible. Not just the cherry-picked verses that I can manipulate for my own benefit, but all of it. It's Mark 9, 23, where everything is possible, but it's also John 16, 33. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, I have overcome the world. A genuine faith in Jesus Christ recognizes the character of God, his gracious love for us. His word found in the pages of scripture is true. His character is unchanging. And a life that is transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ built on genuine faith is demonstrated by our actions. Because genuine faith leads to action. Paul writes in verse 9, God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night I bring you and your needs in prayer to God whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. Paul, since his conversion moment, has had a change of habits and patterns and actions. Since his conversion, he has been on mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for people living in Paul's day and throughout history, the same story is the same good news today. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this story is for you, that you were so important and so valuable to God that he sent his only son to die on the cross for your sin. And because Jesus did what he said he would do, you are no longer an enemy of God, but you are called a son or daughter of the Most High King. 
And it's not just Paul's mission to spread the good news. He also describes this relationship with this church in Rome where they will mutually share and exchange stories of their faith. Verse 12 says, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. Keep in mind, this is the Apostle Paul. Paul who met Jesus on the road. Paul who is thoroughly converted and convinced of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's writing to church people. Church people who are being praised for their good reputation as church people. And Paul is saying, I can't wait to get together with you to talk church stuff, to talk about Jesus with you. And I love this because it reminds me of the Illini Life girl at the coffee shop. Even though she thought she was saving me for the first time, uh, she was doing the stuff. She was sharing the good news of Jesus with me. She was talking about the basics of Jesus Christ. And I was reminded that I had a sin problem in that moment, that I wanted to do things my own way, separate from God, and that God had a plan for my life, but that my sin had created this chasm between me and God. She reminded me that then Jesus came and the cross changed everything. It it was a world-rescuing mission that God put in motion at the very beginning, where Jesus took on my sin and became righteousness so that God would see righteousness in me. And I must admit that I think I need to hear this story more often than I do, church folks. Because sometimes in my own life, I begin operating out of a I-can-do-it-myself attitude. And frankly, sometimes I need to go back to the diagram. Sometimes in my list of good things that I'm doing, I forget that my sin problem is often a problem of me trying to do things my own way. My selfish desires for comfort and safety crafted through a lack of trust in this God that I serve. And I imagine that some of you may be similar to me. Maybe you need someone to sit down with you and remind you that you too have a sin problem. Or maybe for some of you here today, you're too aware or so aware of your sin problem that you forgot that you have a Jesus who took care of your sin problem and that you became a blameless sacrifice. Maybe you forgot or maybe you're hearing for the first time that Jesus died on the cross so that you could be welcomed into the loving arms of God, seen as fully forgiven and blameless and righteous. And it is this continual sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can be encouraged and we can be used to encourage others for the purpose of transformation. Now that genuine faith leads to action. And so there's elements of doing this life with other people that are where those actions are demonstrated. We bear each other's burdens. We care for each other. We give of our money. We let God use our talents and resources and passions to serve the whole, to serve the community, both this SSV community, your home church community, but the whole community. And for many of us who are Jesus followers, we do what we do. We do these actionable items out of the overflow of our faith. Compelled by Jesus' love for us, we respond. But there's also just a basic reality of sharing your faith with others by using words. The actual telling of the story of Jesus Christ to those around you. And I think that some of us who are Jesus followers, we've gotten away from this basic principle that our genuine faith should be continually shared with others, both those who already know Jesus so that they can come to know him more, but also the sharing of the good news with those who don't know Jesus. 
And I would imagine that if you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, that somewhere along the line, someone shared the good news with you. And I'm here to remind you that, like Paul, it is now part of your mission to go and tell other people this same good news. God uses us, our story, our testimony, our life, our actions, but it is the power of the Spirit at work to transform those who hear the message. And so we partner with God. Genuine faith made possible through God, it leads to action. And for some of you today, that action may be to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time, that you step into your inheritance as a child of the King and the creator of the universe. This means that for those of you who decide to follow Jesus, we have an eternal home in heaven, that our salvation is secure. It also means that while we are here on earth, we have access to the peace and joy and contentment that can only be found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you believe, your genuine faith leads to action. It is a call to act and live differently, to live in the purpose for which you were created. We say here at the SSB to love God and love people. And for those of you who have been following Jesus and you would say you're a Jesus follower, you also know that your genuine faith leads to continued, continued faith and continued action. Given as a gift from God, leading to action. And this action, the ways that our lives change when we decide to follow Jesus, these changes can be radically disruptive in the best possible way. Paul writes in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of this gospel, this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And isn't it curious that Paul who is writing to a church, that he writes this phrase that he's not ashamed. Like, this is Paul, who has a fully developed reputation for sharing the gospel of Jesus, yet he reminds this church in Rome that he's not ashamed of it. An apostle writing to church folks that he's not ashamed, which leads me to believe that maybe some people were ashamed about sharing the gospel. Church folks, if you didn't know, can sometimes be ashamed of sharing the gospel. We can sometimes forget that the good news is enough and that it's powerful and that it's real. And maybe this speaks to you today. It speaks to me because I'm not always brimming with confidence to share this good news, even though I know how transformative it is, even though I've seen it with my own eyes in my own life and in the lives of other people. Sometimes I'm not brimming with the same confidence that Paul writes about. Because sometimes I settle for a bland version of Christianity or faith, where I'm living out of faith and a Christianity that fits nicely into my schedule, where I'm content to check the boxes, but I'm thoroughly unchanged by any element of faith that might disrupt my plans or my desires or my decisions. But Paul describes a different kind of faith. Paul has deep confidence in this message of Jesus Christ because the gospel is powerful. It is transformational. And Paul knows it from his own story. He likely knows it from the stories of the people around him. He's been doing this church planting thing and he calls us into this same 
beautifully disruptive faith. A faith that calls us to live differently, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week and in our offices and in our dorm rooms and in our neighborhoods. It has a faith, it's a faith that has us tithing and showing up at 7.30 a.m. for a Saturday morning small group or serving at the food pantry. Because of this gift of faith, because of Jesus' righteousness gifted to us, we are compelled to live differently. It's not law, it's not checkboxes, it's not doing enough right things or muscling our way through on good works. It's not our pedigree or who we are or who we want to be. God's righteousness is gifted to you based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Not because of anything you have done or will do or could do. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't follow the rules well enough to get it. And this is really good news. It's good news for us, but Paul also indicates that we must be confident that this good news is for everyone, even the wretched among us. Paul was that sinner corrupted by sin in rebellion from God. But this good news, the good news that Jesus' righteousness had been counted toward Paul, that changed him, and he made it his life mission to share that news with anyone who would listen. A complete change of plans for Paul. 180 degree difference in Paul. Same passion, same drive, same fire, but in a different direction. And before you start thinking about all the wretched people among you, I'd like to remind us that we are all unrighteous before God. As much as we hate to admit it, we are that sinner in need of a savior. And that same righteousness has been counted toward our sin as well. Worship team, you can start to make your way up. So I have a question for you. For my church people, for your, my Jesus followers, my question to you is how radically disruptive has your faith been in your life? As you consider God's gift of faith, the genuine faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, how disruptive is your response to this good news? Are you any different from your non-Christian friends? Are you compelled by this gift from God to be changed, to live differently? Who's in the driver's seat of your life? Who gets to say how you spend your money? How you steward your time? Who gets a say in your decision-making? What in your life has been radically disrupted by your faith in Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are here or watching online, and you would say that you are not yet a follower of Jesus, are you ready to live your life on purpose? Because walking with Jesus will change your life in radical ways, in beautiful and radical ways. Because when we accept Jesus into our lives, he takes up a lot of space. And this Jesus that we serve, he isn't satisfied with being a Sunday morning extra or a holiday special. He wants our whole lives. When he moves in, he wants to disrupt some things. He wants to disrupt our selfish thinking and our destructive habits. He wants to disrupt our loneliness and our depression and our self-hatred and our striving. He wants to disrupt some things. And in the process, he wants to make room for the Holy Spirit to move in to bring in the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, 
and self-control that comes with the Holy Spirit. And as the creator of this masterpiece that we are, he holds the design ideas on what we need and who we were made to be. He knows our passions and our purpose. He put it in us. And when we let him take up all the room, we become the beneficiaries of a life lived on purpose. Do you want this genuine faith, this continually transforming and radically disruptive genuine faith? Because I think you should know on the outset what this means to choose to follow Jesus. You should come into this decision well-informed. If you want to accept Jesus into your heart for the first time, I got to tell you, it's radically disruptive in the best possible way. And for those of you who are here or you're watching and you feel this drawing, this calling, we believe that God is calling people. We believe that that there is something that you might be feeling as God calls you. And we want to give you an opportunity to respond, to respond to what Jesus is calling you to, to a life where he gets to radically disrupt your plans in the best possible way. And so as we close today, I want to close with saying a prayer. And uh, we'll put the words on the screen. And I just want to encourage you, for those of you who do not yet follow Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity to maybe say this prayer to invite Jesus into your heart. And I'm going to ask for those of you who are in the room, if you just want to read it out loud with me so that we can all be reading it together, we just want to invite the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to say this prayer together, but as, as, um, as I close that prayer, then we're just going to turn it over to the worship team right after that. And as the, the worship team uh, sings a final song, I just want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart to let the words of the Holy Spirit just marinate as you feel what God has for you this morning. So we're going to put some words up on the screen and we're going to read it together. Uh, As we do, let's just join together if we could all read it. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior.